This week on the Tech on Tech podcast, we recap OpenStack Summit 2018 and the latest FlexPod SF Cisco validated design. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. All right, I'm here in the studio with uh, Andrew Sullivan. Yeah, it's it's uh you know I I like being a guest occasionally because you know it's not like I've been on recently. I refer to Andrew as the Road Warrior. Again, you keep you keep scheduling these while I'm gone, but I'm not going anywhere until August. that's because you're always gone. Fair enough. During spring and fall, fair enough. Yeah. But hey, you're doing a great job holding down Hey, the thanks there. Thanks. Appreciate that. You know, been, phenomenal I was, work. I was hunting for that compliment. So uh, on the phone today, we have uh, Pete Bray. Uh, Pete, if you could tell everybody what you do here at NetUp and how we can reach you on social media. You can reach me on Twitter at Cloud Storage Guy. Um, and what do I do at NetApp? So I, um, I specialize in OpenStack marketing. Um, working with a lot of our larger customers that are deploying OpenStack, understanding use cases, how to use OpenStack most effectively for their uh, different use cases. All right. In the studio also today here is uh, David Blackwell. Uh, David, if you could tell everybody what you, what you do here at NetApp as well as how to reach you on social media. Sure. David Blackwell, longtime listener, first-time talker. Um, I'm a technical marketing engineer. Uh, Andrew Sullivan's actually a colleague of mine. Um, I focus on OpenStack and configuration management, so I develop solutions that help enable our field to enable customers do things better. Uh, you actually can't reach me on social media. I, I have a LinkedIn, um, but I have many family members in the shadowy alphabet soup companies, and they have made me paranoid. All right. Excellent. So you are tinfoil hat guy. Almost. But, to, to, but it's a really nice To app. pop your bubble, though, LinkedIn is social media. I know it is, but... All right. Uh, last but not least, uh, I'm going to butcher your last name, so I'm going to make you say it, but Amit is here. Uh, Amit, if you could tell everybody your last name, as well as what you do here at NetApp and how to find you on social media. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Amit. I'm a technical marketing engineer with uh, FlexPod, uh, focusing on uh, open ecosystem solutions on FlexPod. And, uh, yeah, my last name is Borulkar. And uh, my Twitter handle would be Amit underscore Borulkar. So I guess you'll have that in the blog that you would follow. Absolutely. We'll put it in there. Yeah. I was going to pronounce it like Dracula, but it was going to be totally wrong. <laughs> would have been terrible. So we're here to talk about uh, OpenStack Summit, which just happened in Vancouver. And we're also going to talk about the new uh, CVD, the FlexPod SF that Amit has created. So to kick off the discussion about OpenStack Summit, let's talk to Pete and get his take from the marketing perspective. Uh, so, Pete, what did you find out at OpenStack Summit? What sort of things did you think about it? So, it was very interesting, OpenStack Summit, compared particularly to the last summit in Sydney. Um, very diverse audience. Uh, a lot of uh, telecom customers, but a lot of representation from other areas, though, too. Um, you know, from the government to oil and gas companies to financial services, just all across the board. So it was really good to see that variety. Um, the attendance was roughly somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 people. And, you know, there have been other OpenStack summits. I think Austin was significantly more than that. Um, 
What's interesting is I think OpenStack has reached a point in maturity where it's at a steady state. Um, you know, the people that have use cases for where OpenStack is a really good fit have kind of figured that out at this point. And now we're starting to see, you know, more stable deployments. Um, our discussions that we've had with customers at OpenStack Summit are more talking about, you know, our longer term roadmaps and our plans for where we're going to go. So it's really pleasing to see how OpenStack in general has settled, um, you know, as a market, as a technology, as a tool um, to solve these real world problems for these different types of customers. So, Pete, I'll, I'll butt in here for a moment to ask. Hey, you're here. I am here. <laughs> So it, it's a shame that because uh, there's a lot of good news that always comes out of OpenStack Summit and, and really most of the conferences, right? But it seemed like there was one particular keynote speaker, one particular event that overshadowed everything and really detracted from all of the other good things that were happening there. And that was, you know, U U the Ubuntu guys and Mark Shuttleworth who got on stage and and kind of bad-mouthed, um, you know, some of their competitors, which is not really in good form. Um, but uh, I'd be interested to see or to hear um, from your perspective what the atmosphere was like as a result of that, kind of some of the reactions that were happening there. Um, and, and in general, you know, is, is he right? Is he wrong? Right type of thing? Yeah. And, you know, the, the one word I'll use or two words I'll use to describe that is how people reacted. Um, I think eye rolling was probably the best way to describe it. I, I was in that actual uh, session and I couldn't believe it myself. Um, the the shots uh, that he took at uh, in particular, you know, one of their main competitors, Red Hat. Um, you know, the thing about OpenStack that I think they've prided themselves on is the neutrality is, you know, about the community. Um, and it's not so much about getting up there and having a marketing pitch. Although I will, I will say that the last several OpenStack summits, you know, the, the level of marketing and the hype or whatever, and I can say this cause I'm a marketing guy, um, has gone up a little bit and maybe that comes with some of the maturity, but clearly I think that particular presentation crossed over the line and that sentiment was felt you know, across the show floor, certainly in the presentation. In fact, I understand um, through another source that they pulled that uh, the video recording of that presentation just because of the issues that you highlighted. Um, so it didn't necessarily detract from the show per se, but I, I think people took it, you know, with a grain of salt, as I described, you know, eye rolling, um, really you know you're gonna you're gonna do that kind of a presentation in front of a, a community audience like this so i think people took it with a grain of salt and for what it was worth it was really the only thing uh, tech reporters wrote about the first day though it was i i can't i can't say that i would just put controversy and OpenStack summit in the same sentence it, it did it make sounds it really like, easy to sit at the at the Ubuntu table for lunch though there yeah? was lots of open seats lots of open seats sit right down well i mean you want you want your community to be open and that includes your lunch table seats. So um, that's what they were going for. You know, and what's interesting is I think it, in some ways it was a stunt, you know, to try to get attention in the community. Um, you know, Red Hat obviously has done a very good job in the OpenStack space and, you know, has helped the things I was talking about earlier, helped solidify the OpenStack market, helped make it mature, um, you know, all of those good things. And not, that's not to say that, you know, the canonical guys haven't done a certain amount of that, too. They certainly have. They're significant contributors. But, 
you know, in terms of who's winning that horse race, you know, it's easy to understand why they did what they did, but I think it was clearly stepping out of bounds. Well, to to be fair, there is no such thing as bad publicity, right? Because if they hadn't done that stunt, as you put it, we certainly wouldn't be talking about it now. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe they're just trying to start a rap battle, like a beef. I feel like there's a pitch perfect joke here, but I'm just. I, I've uh, met some of the redhead execs. <laughs> I like them, but I don't. I don't think they'd be able to stand up against Mark in a rap battle. Then. Yeah, just saying, it's an idea. Next time they do that, they should totally make it a rap battle. Then, then it'll be funny. And still get the point across. That's right. You should hire me for your marketing, about you. Got it. So I'm I'm going to change directions a little bit here because I'm terrible rap battles. At, I'm terrible at rapping. Uh, so sorry, I can't. I, I'm I'm imagining you on stage like we were what two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> with the beard. Yeah, yeah, that was terrible. So go ahead, continue. <laughs> so so Dave, you've been doing OpenStack for a number of years now, right? You've been a practitioner. You were in our professional services organization, right? Helping with all that other stuff. So from a technical aspect, what were you seeing during this OpenStack Summit that might have been different than previous ones? Um, everyone who was there really seemed to have an understanding level. There weren't a lot of flyby, hey, let me learn about what this is. I don't know it. Everyone had a high level of technical understanding and control at all. So every conversation I got to have uh, we're all very well educated in background. I didn't have to explain what OpenStack was or explain why you needed storage for Cinder or anything like that. Um, additionally, going to toot NetApp's horn a little bit here. Uh, I'd say 90 to 95% of the people I talked to uh, knew who NetApp was and what we did, not only for OpenStack, but for the OpenStack community as far as a contributor of code. Yeah, that's that's great because we do invest a lot of of effort, energy, time, right into you know, just helping the community as much as we can. So it's definitely good to hear that we're largest single contributor to Manila, large contributor to Cinder, yeah. former PTLs work here. Yeah, we're we're more than just a little bit involved in the OpenStack community. And uh, Amit, because you're sitting across the table from me, so you, you did a session there. Uh, you you had a session that was accepted through the general voting and all of that other stuff. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was similar to the session that you did at Red Hat Summit, I understand? Yeah. Uh, yes. So uh, this was a uh, little bit correction. This was a marketplace session that I did at OpenStack Summit. Uh, but overall, the overall the story was same. Like uh, it was uh, op like how how do you make your uh, enterprise deployments of OpenStack easier? How do you make them risk free and have a production quality OpenStack up and running to have a private cloud like experience? So I have to say I really like that uh, that theme because I've had a running joke and I've been doing OpenStack since I don't know 2012 or 2013 of the only thing more difficult to install than OpenStack is Microsoft System Center, right? And just that ob obnoxious beast. So so what's what's the joke? It, it's just a massively Microsoft ain't complex, funny man. Massively complex install, right? Because there's so many different services, everything has to fit together. So knowing that. You know, the, the FlexPod team is working to make that easier, I think, mm. is phenomenal work. And I think it's great to go out and evangelize with that. But I also know that there's a lot of other work going on in the OpenStack community in order to make that easier as well. Um, yeah, that's that's a big thing. And I actually did a session uh, about that and some of the work we're doing around around adding NetApp to some of these um, extra open source um, projects. Cola Ansible 
Um, shout out to the COLA guys. Uh, they're very helpful if you ever need, need help with anything. But the COLA Ansible project installs containerized versions of RDO, which is the upstream of Red Hat's open, open source, OpenStack platform, um, and does microservice containerization. So, for example, uh, for Cinder, you have four main um, binaries that have to run. Each one gets its own container, which makes uh, troubleshooting and, and, and uh, stack control so much easier. Uh, and because they are containerized, upgrades become easier, installation becomes easier. Um, I can do a full multi-node install in about 10 minutes and an upgrade from Pike to Queens in uh, five, um, which is unheard of if any of you have ever really tried to do a lot of OpenStack stuff. And OSP 13 will be all containerized. Uh, so Red Hat's moving their upstream uh, that way, uh, controlled by director. Uh, so that's a big, a big shift that OpenStack is doing as far as recognizing, yeah, this is difficult and taking advantage of the technologies that exist and are making massive waves in the data center to make everyone's experience better. Yeah. So uh, it, it, is this, sorry to interrupt a minute, so is this the, the productization, if you will, of the Stackinetti's demo that Google did on the main stage in Austin? I did not get to see that one. So if Amit saw that, he should answer that question. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, yeah, it is based on the underlying same COLA principle, but uh, it's not productized yet. But uh, overall, the whole experience, the whole sentiment during the summit was on uh, making these modular services uh, more containerized and uh, easy to uh, deploy and update. So for uh, so with respect to that there was also a workshop by AT&T and SKT uh, to have OpenStack deployed on Kubernetes using the Helm uh, project and uh, basically I attended that workshop and I couldn't believe that I could uh, deploy OpenStack uh, it was we deployed OpenStack Newton and uh, uh, using uh, Helm charts, a bunch of Helm charts, and then did the basic sanity tests, like uh, creation of a VM, uh, creation of a Cinder volume, doing uh, neutron routers and uh, tenant networks. And then to add on it, like a cherry on the cake, was the upgrade process. So within 10 minutes, we were able to upgrade uh, from OpenStack Newton to OpenStack Queens. So uh, that was amazing. Uh, it was good to see the whole community getting together to make it more stable. And uh, uh, the upgrades have always always been a difficult uh, process with OpenStack, and it was good to see community addressing that. And uh, if ONTAP Select, which is BSD-based, uh, if BSD um, containers could ever run on, on Linux, that we'd be able to add OpenStack to that kind of a, a setup. I got nothing for that. That's something we're doing. We're working on that. Well, the, I'm yeah. working on uh, PR requests uh, with the Cola Ansible group to put the NetApp backends into that. Cola Ansible doesn't deploy on top of Kubernetes. It deploys containers on bare metal um, with Docker. Now, there is a, a Kubernetes version fork of Ansible, but I'm working just, or of uh, Cola, rather, but I'm working just with the uh, Docker container version. Okay. So... You know, for the longest time, OpenStack deployment was like the, you know, this is going to take forever to do. It's going to be, be very difficult. And that was years ago. Where have we gotten to at this point? Like from start to finish, how much time have we shaved off from that deployment and how much complexity? Uh, depending on where OSP 13 is going, 
Um, and and then compared to some of the non-supported, like COLA, there's no official support for it other than the COLA community. Um, but um, uh, uh, an automated single-node install used to take, all-in-one install used to take 40, 45 minutes, I think, with Puppet and Packstack. And the, like I said, the multi-node Ansible um, containerized version takes uh, seven minutes and 50 seconds roughly every time I do it. So incredibly faster. Wow. So get to the point where I'll actually use it. I won't have anything to do with it, but. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't know what to. No. I would just poke around and didn't ask. There's Andrew, no flex groups. How sorry. Do I, how do I fix it? Yeah, no flex there groups. There could be. So. You need storage. Fair enough. Uh, so I, I think that we're also starting to see a pattern come out of Red Hat. Right, because we're seeing this with OpenShift as well, in that they are leveraging Ansible as their primary management interface. So, with OpenShift, and it sounds like with Rel OSP 13, right, or, or, or RDO maybe going forwards, of I'll have a set of Ansible playbooks that deploy all the services across all the various nodes. I can run those playbooks in order to add nodes, remove nodes, add services, remove services, etc. So it's becoming this standardized sort of super easy way of taking these really complex systems and just making them as easy as possible to deploy, manage, consume, upgrade, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Red Hat, because they own Ansible, does put a lot of time and effort into it. But fortunately, it's actually a really great product. So the fact that it's now everywhere uh, is not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. Um, and by containerizing the things and using, um, if not supported, but community stamped uh, container images, you now aren't having to risk that maybe I installed the wrong driver or maybe I want to upgrade OpenStack, but I didn't upgrade this library on my system. And now, oh no, nothing works and I don't know why. So just the peace of mind when you do those things is really nice. Uh, even uh, to a point, you can even do downgrades from a higher version to a lower version, uh, provided they still have the same database layout, which in previous versions of OpenStack was all but impossible. So, Matt, you said you had a session at OpenStack Summit. Could you give us kind of a summary of what you talked about and what sort of conclusions you came to? Yep. So uh, the session was focused on how do you make uh, OpenStack deployment easier. So, like, how do you uh, basically, there are, I mean, it's a very huge stack, a lot of unknowns in this stack. So uh, you have your compute, you have your network, you have your storage. How do you configure the infrastructure for the OpenStack services? And then we also need, uh, like, in-house expertise if you're going to do it by yourselves so the theme was how do uh, how to how do you uh, how do the enterprises make this uh, deployment easier so and let you focus on your business development so uh, so my session was focused on uh, how flexpod makes uh, openstack easier uh, specifically flexpod uh, solidfire and uh, we talked about uh, the recent solution that we did, that is Red Hat OpenStack Platform 10 on FlexPod SolidFire. Uh, basically, it is, it's a Cisco validated design where uh, it showcases uh, uh, how do you configure your uh, computer. So, so FlexPod SolidFire is basically consists of uh, Cisco UCS servers, Cisco 9K variant switches, and NetApp SolidFire storage array. So uh, how do you configure them according to the best practices to have a highly available deployment of OpenStack and, it, and, and the step-by-step -step instructions that are required to have the whole deployment? 
And I, I think I saw that that got published to both flexpod.com and then there's an announcement blog post on netapp.io as well, right? Yep, uh, that's right, yep. So if anybody's interested in finding out more about that reference architecture... We could include sure. that in the show notes. We have the technology. What about the behind-the-scenes blog post? Which is essentially the show notes, <laughs> but rebranded. <laughs> Dirty little secret. Behind the scenes for you. All right. So, Pete, hey, uh, Pete yeah, go ahead. Nashville. He uh, he also got a mention in so OpenStack published uh, top 40 things you need to know from Vancouver. And we got a mention for the new CBD in that top 40 list. So congratulations, Amit. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, Amit. Pump yourself up a little bit here. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, I, I hope he at least got a pass to the VIP party. Yes. Is that, is that oh, where yeah. everybody makes fun of Ubuntu? He was he was dancing at the VIP party. <laughs> Did he have like uh like little necklaces like the glow necklace and no? He got to go to the NetApp yacht party. That's the only party you needed to go to. There was a yacht party? Yeah. Yep. Yes, Man. there was. I gotta start going to OpenStack Summit. I need to Again, I need to do the seven minute install. There's no flex groups. You have no reason. I can make a reason. <laughs> so so Pete, I, I feel like we've been ignoring you for a little bit. Um, so circling back around from your perspective, um, and again, you've you've been to multiple of these uh, OpenStack summits now. Uh, big picture changes, right? Changes in attitude. You mentioned at the beginning that you feel like it's maturing, and therefore. There hasn't been as much, uh, I don't know if aggressive expansion is the right word, but it, it, it hasn't had the naive buzz or, or maybe just the general, this is exciting buzz, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, you know, I think my comment about maturity, you know, there's still there's still a lot of work to be done, um, particularly around the area of ease of use and your comment earlier uh, about, you know, being harder than Microsoft System Center to install. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that sentiment is is felt throughout the community. Um, it is interesting to see how the shift is taking place a little bit within the community, uh, talking more about containers, Kubernetes, um, you know, as David mentioned, you know, different different models for deploying containers together with OpenStack. Um, so it's interesting to see that shift happening uh, in the marketplace. I think some of that is, you know, that's where a lot of people's focus and, and intention is right now. And the good news is we've got a lot of work going on in that particular space around our Trident, um, you know, storage provisioner together with Kubernetes and OpenShift, um, you know, to provide an end-to-end -end solution, kind of going at, you know, that whole issue of uh, making things easier for our customers um, to be able to use these technologies. So uh, I'll ask you, Pete, but I also want to open the question up to David and to uh, Amit of, you know, is this a, uh, I guess, arguably a second trough of disillusionment with OpenStack as a result of Kubernetes and containers where organizations are looking to get what OpenStack has historically provided now through the the new sexy, the new exciting way? And if so, do we expect that to regain some momentum or, or regain some popularity, even uh, that indicates that the popularity is waning, which I don't believe is true. But as maybe Kubernetes and the container ecosystem itself enters maybe its own trough of disillusionment at some point in the future. So I think part of it is, is containers is a lot easier to do and try. So sites that have said, hey, we really want our own private cloud and OpenStack will answer all these things and then got discouraged during the install, 
uh, might have found that, hey, containers is way easier and I can do that. Uh, additionally, the hyperscalers, your AWS, Azure, uh, Google Cloud, they're pulling a lot of the excitement and sexy right now for how data center builds can be done uh, into that. Uh, I was saying to people, and I still firmly believe that in two to five years, you're going to see a, a major resurgence of OpenStack in interest and um, a ramp up in how much it's talked about as businesses discover that some of their workloads weren't right for the cloud, either via cost or, or performance, and then come back on site, but still want that cloud feel, uh, which fortunately, if they're using ONTAP Cloud, the data fabric will help them bring that back. See there how I did that, wow, Pete? That was I did smooth. Some yeah. <laughs> somebody's somebody's uh, vying for Pete's position there. Slick. And, yep, and uh, and to add on to it, like uh, if you look at OpenStack traditionally, so it has been a bunch of uh, services that are coupled together that make your cloud. So like you have different services for Nova, Cinder, Neutron, etc. So essentially these the architecture has already been microservices oriented one so it was a it's a very natural fit to containerize the services and have a orchestration for the services so that makes your OpenStack deployment easier as well as upgrades but because you know like it's easier to deploy and manage containers using orchestration so i'm going to ask the obvious question here because that's what i do um so given that we have AWS and Google and all these other cloud providers, and you even have like the private cl cloud providers like the soft layers, why would I want to build my own cloud? Why would I want to do that? What, what, what benefits do I get out of that? Um, cost. Uh, if you have a, a steady workload, um, I've been told by, by customers I've worked with that they find that around the 18-month point, it winds up costing more to live in a hyperscaler than it did to have their own equipment on site. And with the new CapEx depreciation allowances versus OpEx cost model, uh, it's no longer as financially advantageous to do just everything in the cloud. So uh, a big reason why you'd want to have that then is, is not only control uh, cost uh, latency, when you can touch both sides, physically touch both sides of, of your connection, you're always going to have less latency than... Um, a cloud which has so many individual layers between what you can do and what you have access to that there's no control over that. Um, and, and then just the, the ability to do what you want, how you want, when you want, and not be restricted by um, a company's model or, or allowances, like sub-network IP address allowances and hosts and things like that. So when I ask an obvious question, I usually have an, an answer in mind. So what about security? How does it help me there? Oh, it doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so when you can, obviously being able to touch and hold your data is, is a better access point. Um, and an individual company is always going to be, to a point, less of a target to intruders than AWS Cloud or Azure or Google. Um, and now they all have excellent security. I don't want anyone to think I'm, I'm saying they don't. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But, but, but if you can keep it on-site and off yeah, of a public network. Exactly. And, and so. if you house hundreds or thousands of companies being one target that has the potential to access all that is going to be better than, than your private one. Um, also, you, you don't have to just take Amazon's word for it that they've encrypted everything. You actually can have your own auditing stamps that all that is done. Yeah, and that goes back to control. And, and honestly, I mean, people like the DOD or like, you know, government is going to keep things on site versus going into the cloud for, for 
you know, especially for sensitive information for the most part. Yeah, GovCloud exists in AWS, and, and they use yeah. that, but but it's uh, I've heard several of them complain that it's just it's a very restrictive way of doing AWS, and so it it almost isn't easier. It's just mandated sometimes. Got anything to add, Emmett? Yeah, uh, I guess that's where FlexPod comes into picture. So. Hey, <laughs> look at that segue. Nice. <laughs> so continue. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it enables you to have a private cloud-like experience, a turnkey cloud-like experience. So you have uh, you have a pre-architected and a pre-validated design. So you have uh, you have industry experts and who are SMEs in their own uh, areas. For example. Uh, uh, in case of FlexSpot SolidFire solution uh, with Red Hat OpenStack, we have worked. Uh, it was a collaborative technical engineering effort with uh, engineers from all the three companies to have a completely validated design that is HA both at, both at hardware layer, like you have your <coughs> switches in a VPC manner, configured in a VPC. We uh, define how do you configure the NICs on the service profiles for your uh, controllers and the compute nodes and then uh, even the deployment of OpenStack since uh, it has been uh, backed by an enterprise vendor uh, in this case Red Hat so and it's by far the most uh, uh, stable version of OpenStack that's uh, available and uh, not to mention the support that we get with it so uh, overall, it enables you to have a cloud-like experience with the self-service portal uh, uh, deploy it yourself. Don't have to wait for tickets, etc. And uh, you have it with uh, with enterprise support, so you can basically work uh, focus on your daily business apps rather than uh, rather than worrying how to configure your infrastructure and get ready for it. So, why would you have chosen something like Solidfire to do that? What sort of benefits do you get out of that when you're using Solidfire with OpenStack? Well. Uh, the solid netapp solidfire has uh it provides uh it provides storage to most of the storage uh, aspects in openstack uh first of all uh the netapp solidfire cinder driver it's very uh tightly integrated with openstack as in uh, once you have your storage ready when you have your storage web uh ready on solidfire there's literally zero configuration required on the storage array so any storage operations that you want to do from op uh, are from the openstack control plane using cinder uh, at that point where even you can have a per volume qos for the solidfire volumes uh, all through all done through the cinder API and uh, and to do that to enable that the configuration is pretty simple like uh, like any other configuration of any other driver you just have to configure the cinder.conf for the solidfire backend and uh, you're up and running with your storage uh, so cinder is one of the important aspects that solidfire provides uh, in the solution and apart from that uh, the other components as well so uh, one of the core uh, aspects of uh, FlexPod design is uh, boot from SAN uh, that um, ties really well with Cisco service profiles. So basically, when you have any hardware maintenance uh, with the servers, you can actually boot your operating system from the all flash array so that you can uh, point your uh, point it toward. So your root disk is on the storage array, so you can point you can point your service profile to. Uh, to the root operating system on the storage when you are having maintenance with the Blade servers, so that's done through iSCSI uh, boot from SAN, and 
the last aspect is the swift service in openstack swift is an object store so we provide a solid fire uh, block storage lens uh, through iscsi to each of the openstack controller nodes so they lay out an uh, object store on this lens which is ready for your consumption and uh, like they say we eat your own dog food so the openstack glance service which is the image service where you store your guest operating system images so uh, it's important to have it highly available so you can do it in two ways you can either have a you can either store it on nfs uh, backed storage or an object storage which makes it highly available so in this case we store it on the swift uh, object storage okay so i mean essentially the the idea here is because openstack itself can be complex you want to try to eliminate as much complexity as you can on things like storage so you don't have to think about it as much uh solidfire is only six lines in the configuration of of the cinder.com file and and one of those lines is the hey I'm a solid fire configuration so oh. it's five config lines you have to set and then one that just names it um, and Amit was talking about the QoS I actually did a demo for several people at OpenStack Summit where you can set your various QoS levels in a QoS storage catalog in Cinder and through Cinder not only create a volume that has those QoS settings but if you say deploy a silver uh, QoS level for your application and determine that's not enough IOPS, you can live on the fly through OpenStack without having to actually go into the Element OS interface. Uh, you can modify that into a new predefined or defined a new QoS uh, level without having your end user have to stop their application, have to unmount, have to reattach any of that. It just changes over and they now have more IOP bandwidth. Andrew, you got anything for me? No, I, I mean, I can jump back a little bit to the private cloud statement in that I tend to look at private cloud, I think, slightly different than a lot of people. Oh, really? How is that? Uh, so cloud to me is a consumption model. It is getting the resources that you need when, where, and how you need them. You need to stop place. And I think the difference between a public cloud and a private cloud is private cloud, because you own that infrastructure, you can architect it to your application's requirements. So when we look at a hyperscaler, generally speaking, the availability, right, so however many nines of availability is not up to you. It's up to them. So you have to compensate for that at the application layer. You're adding complexity, you're adding services, you're adding overhead at the application layer in order to ensure that whatever that hyperscaler does under to the underlying compute and other layers, right, we can compensate for that. If you implement a private cloud and your applications need five, six, seven, however many nines, well, great, you can do that. You own it. You're just layering on top that service la layer to get the resources that you need when and where you need them. So we all like to talk about, you know, especially me because containers, right, microservices and 12-factor and all of these other things. But let's face it, the vast majority of applications are not anywhere near like that. But that doesn't mean that we can't provide them the same infrastructure resources of create on demand, consume on demand, right? manage as you see fit, right? Hey, let's create a clone. Let's create a new isolated network. Let's do all of these other things and have it apply to traditional enterprise applications. So that that's my perspective. And while, yes, all of those other things, cost, security, et cetera, all factor into it, um, a lot of times it's simply just can I provide at the, the most efficient, most secure manner possible, the resources that my applications need. So essentially, chuck another one in the column for the cloud is someone else's computer, right? Because it is. And if you want to make it your own computer, you go 
you go private cloud. You set up something like OpenStack. You use Emits. Excellent. FlexPod CVD. <laughs> See how I did that? Yeah. So uh, I admit, I, we've been throwing the CVD term around. So let's actually talk about that. What does that mean exactly? So uh, CVD stands for Cisco Validated Design. So it is a program that is uh, developed by NetApp and Cisco where uh, it's a it's a collaboration between the partners on developing a solution. Uh, so in this case, uh, where engineers collaborate on developing the design uh, based on the solution. So in this ca in the case of uh, OpenStack, how do you design your underlying architecture uh, so that you can gain most out of it? And we do end-to-end -end, uh, uh, validations uh, for the solution. And one other uh, very interesting aspect uh, with the CVD program is the support that it comes with. So it's called uh, FlexPod Cooperative Support. So you have uh, support from all the three vendors. And uh, so in case there is any issue with uh, any of the components within the solution, you typically uh, don't have to triage the issue to which vendor do I contact. So we could contact any of the vendors that is uh, that you might uh, be really easy to get to and then uh, it gets internally triaged and uh, there is a flexpod cooperative support lab where uh, where the issues is where the issues and support cases are resolved that's pretty cool so the cisco validated design i mean what sort of process is involved there is it pretty extensive Yep, so uh, it's a very uh, detailed-oriented uh, design. Uh, so basically it has two... Uh it has two collaterals at the end of it, which are technical. One is a design guide and one is a deployment guide. So design guide uh, talks on the design decisions that we took with uh, each component of the solution, the networking, like uh, how do we enable HA at uh, both the hardware layer and the software layer for all the components. So one of the important aspects of uh, FlexPod solution is uh, having high availability so you can have it you can have dual fabrics multi-pathings to have network resiliency and then each component is ensured that how do you lay out the solution on the underlying infrastructure so that it is highly available uh, so that's one of the core aspects of uh, FlexPod and uh, the other aspect is independent scale points so basically you can add more compute or more network independent of each other uh, and the other uh, part of the collateral is the deployment guide. So this is more technical, in-depth, step-by-step description on how do you deploy it. So you take out of the factory uh, systems, whether it is storage network and compute, and then you uh, install the underlying firmware on top of it, and then, you and then you deploy the whole solution. So about how much time would you say it takes to get a validated design? Uh, so time is one aspect, but... Uh, the overall, uh, the I mean, if you follow the uh, deployment procedure and if you go the step-by-step -step manner, it it wouldn't take like more than a day to do it because you're talking about handling the switches by yourself, the storage components and the compute. So components. a day to go through the design that you created. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how much, how much time did it take for you to create that entire design? How long, follow was, me how long was the validation process? Follow me here. <laughs> I mean, how long would it take you to validate all that? So uh, it was... Uh, it took almost uh, three to four months of uh, process to do a complete validation, which includes uh, alignment with uh, different partners and then having uh, and then having the entire collateral. Allow me to put my marketing hat on now. <laughs> we just saved you three or four months with your FlexPod SF. 
I mean, essentially, that's what it is, right? I mean, you're saving customers time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come up with these designs. They don't have to come up with the validation. They don't have to have all this vetting process. They just set it up. They're done. Yeah, the way I refer to FlexPod CVDs is, so I was an architect before I worked for NetApp, which really means that in a three-year span, I spent two and a half years maintaining the architecture that I spent six months designing and implementing. So I was really only an architect about six months out of that given three-year period. Whereas the FlexPod team, that's all they do. Those guys are, are architects 365 and a quarter days a year, right? That's that's what they focus on is making sure that these things are built to be as robust and bulletproof as possible and working with our partners, of course. Yeah, and when, and when something happens, you get all that extra support, right? You get that con- consolidated collaborative support model that you also don't have to worry about. Yeah. So. so, Amit, what are we running on this OpenStack deployment for RHEL? What is the uh, OS version? So this solution uses uh, Red Hat OpenStack Platform 10, uh, which is the long-term support version of OpenStack by Red Hat. So it has. So typically, the way Red Hat has its support for OpenStack versions is they have something called long-term support, and then uh, so that is for mostly enterprises who want to stay on stable version, and then uh, and then have long-term support for it. And the other uh, portion of uh, the releases is the one-year cadence that uh, one-year uh, support cycle that Red Hat has. So in this solution, we use the long-term support, which is uh, three plus two years of support. So uh, this uses Red Hat OpenStack Platform 10. What's the next long-term support release? Uh, the next one would be Red Hat OpenStack Platform 13, okay. uh, which just got announced uh, at the OpenStack Summit. Okay, so it'll be coming up soon, I would imagine. Yep. So what would it take for you to qualify that? Just basically installing it and then running the same validations? Uh, yes, so this might be slightly different from the current uh, OSP 10 because as we meant discussed during the podcast, it was uh, in this, this is the first OSP version that has most of the components containerized. So, but essentially the exercise would be the same, like setting up the infrastructure, deploying OpenStack, and then running some qualifying uh, tests to see that everything operates and then do uh, failover testing, like like turn off a switch or plug the power cords from the racks to see if everything functions. Yeah, so I kind of, to, to all of you guys as a whole, uh, as we close out the, the podcast here, right, is there any other things that um, you know might be coming up, things that we want to talk about, things that we want to highlight with our audience here regarding OpenStack and, and kind of what's happening? You know, I know we all three of you just got back from OpenStack Summit, so I'd imagine there's some things that are interesting or exciting to you that you might want to bring up. For me, I think there were two notable things. Uh, and this goes back to my comment, I think, about the maturity level of OpenStack and where it's getting to. Um, we're getting a lot more questions about disaster recovery. Um, David and myself had several conversations with different customers about Cinder in particular and being able to enable whether it's backup or or site site disaster recovery types of solutions. And uh, you know, I, I think that that's an area um, where there there's some work that could be done there um, to improve the situation. Um, the other thing that's really kind of cool, and I think this touches a lot of people in a lot of ways, is you know a lot of the the telco market, you know, is using OpenStack. Um, kind of your question earlier, Andrew, about you know well, why are people using OpenStack and public versus private cloud, blah blah blah. 
And, you know, I think one of the reasons t the telco industry has taken an industry in OpenStack is because they can meld it and form it to what they need for their particular requirements. And one of the really interesting things that's happening there is edge deployments and trying to get like a miniaturized version of OpenStack that you can put in edge devices so that they can start building out their uh, next generation 5G networks. Um, so it's really kind of a cool, cool use case. And I think there's going to be a lot of... Uh, activity in that particular space over the next uh, several months and years. All right, there you have it. OpenStack Summit recap, as well as the FlexPod SF CBD announcement. Uh, so thanks, David, Amit, Pete, for joining us today. Again, if we want to reach you on social media, how do we do that, Pete? Cloud storage guy. David Blackwell, how do we find you on LinkedIn? Under David Blackwell, who works at NetApp. No dark web presence? No. It's too bad. Amit. Uh, it would be Amit underscore Borulkar on Twitter. All right, we'll add that to the show notes. Thanks, guys. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetUp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank David Blackwell, Pete Bray, and Amit Borokar for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. David asked me about pulling a Fletcher this morning, and that, that's the other pulling oh, a Fletcher. Wow. Well, pulling a Fletcher, I would have started over. And, uh, or you would have forgotten time. a dozen times, somewhere. yeah. I would have forgotten my laptop somewhere? Yeah, passport. Yeah, I my passport. Yeah, passport. Yeah. I forgot yeah. the passport. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, I've, I've told me I had to ask about pulling a Fletcher, oh, and I was yeah. finally in the same country as Andrew and able to, to ask. So, yeah, I learned about that this morning. Yeah, well, there you go. Never, never pull a Fletcher if you can help it. Burn.